Today we're going to continue our series that we've been talking about, Jesus is blank. And as we've said before, how you fill in that blank says everything about who you will become and how you will live your life. And so uh, we've talked about a number of different things. Today we're going to fill it in with a, with a different blank. Today we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus is our miracle worker. We've talked about Jesus as king. We've talked about Jesus as for you. We've talked about Jesus as our healer. And today I want to talk about the reality that Jesus is our miracle worker. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 19, we're going to begin reading from verse 13. And uh, we're going to read this passage and then get into what what I believe the Lord has for us today. Matthew 19 verse 13. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life? And he replied to him, Why do you call me good? There's one who is good, but if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you that it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and, and I praise you, Lord, for your uh, miracle-working, wonder-working power. And I, I thank you, Lord, for your miraculous grace. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, this uh, simple little message would, would reach our hearts in, in such a way that we'll be forever transformed. And Lord, I know that only you can do that. Only you can change our lives forever. And I just pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The passage of scripture, uh, the, excuse me, the passages of scripture that lead up to the announcement there in that in that verse that we just read that God that with God nothing is impossible is really a, a bit of an odd collection of things. Why does Jesus start with this whole matter of laying hands on children and end with the fact that nothing is impossible for God? Well, I believe it's because Jesus is leading us into a, a life of faith that is quite different than what many understand the life of faith to be in the broader, especially in the broader charismatic and Pentecostal community. I'm convinced that faith is not the generated, uh, self-stimulated, determined, volitional will, that, that determination to have faith, to do faith, to work faith that, that we have made it. I hear many talk about faith like it's a you know, like a self-help course in, in improving your physique. And I'm convinced that at its core, that faith is, is quite different. And I, I think that there are some things that you can do to increase your faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I, I think you should stay in the Word of God. But, but even there, I, I want to say to you that, 
memorization of Scripture and, and the, the, the deft use, use of Scripture is, is not necessarily going to bring faith because there have been many people over the centuries that have known Scripture, but, but there was no faith born in their lives. I think that you, you may have faith-building passages of Scripture poured inside of yourself and still not have faith. I think you should work with Scripture. I think you should memorize Scripture. You should quote Scripture. You should know Scripture. But I'm also sure that that alone, uh, uh, I'm not sure that that alone uh, reaches the level of faith that Jesus is talking about here. There's nothing wrong with listening to faith-building messages, but sometimes we've gotten into the habit of believing that if we can just listen to enough people talk about faith, then we will have faith. But faith, in its essence, is not a determined force of my will. It's not a determined force of my will where we say, I will have faith. I am determined to have faith. I believe that faith, as Jesus taught it, is a matter of a simple childlike confidence in who God is. That's what I think the essence of faith is. Jesus, as the miracle working Christ, must be so clear in our minds that at any given moment, in any circumstance, in any situation, in any crisis, then I am more confident of, of who Jesus is in that moment than I am of whatever challenge that that moment presents to me. And if I have that, if I have that kind of childlike confidence, I have faith. My faith is, is that Jesus is bigger than this, that Jesus is greater than this circumstance. Jesus is greater than this problem. That's when I have faith. You know, a few years ago, Dr. Mark Rutland, you've heard me mention him a number of times. He participated in a live panel discussion on a large radio station in Dallas, Fort Worth. At one point in time during this panel discussion on the radio, they were discussing the issue of faith. And, and, and one person on the panel uh, uh, said about faith, they said, faith is believing that whatever we pray, God will give it to us when we ask. And the moderator turned to Dr. Rutland and said, do, do you agree with that, Dr. Rutland? And now, now one of the great privileges of, of radio is that nobody can see, can see you which is why I've always said I have a, I have a radio face. <laughs> you know, not a TV face, but I got a radio face. But, but he didn't want to get into something, some controversy with the people on the panel. And, and so he just tried to make a motion to say, no, move on, go to the next thing, you know, whatever. And he tried to indicate that he, he should go back to the other guy. But the, but the moderator either didn't get the cue or he ignored the, the cue and he said, well, do you believe that or not? That faith is that when you pray, you get what you ask from God. And Dr. Rutland, now he had to answer. He said, he said well, no, that, that's not faith. He said, if that's faith, then many of us would have already prayed our lives into a terrible mess. Can you know what I'm talking about? My faith is to believe that God is so good that even when I pray a stupid, erroneous prayer that he won't answer it because he's going to do what's best for me. Anybody ever pray a stupid prayer before? Anybody here glad that God didn't answer that prayer? You know, I heard the story about a lady whose husband had a stroke. And, uh, and, and as she waited for the ambulance, she prayed, Oh God, spare his life. And she's telling the story. She said, God heard that prayer and he gave me exactly what I asked for. He, she said, my husband did live, but he has lived as a vegetable for the last 10 years because I prayed the wrong prayer. 
I mean, listen, is, is that your idea of God, that God is sitting up in heaven with a scorecard saying, okay, well, you want him alive, you're going to get him alive, but, you're, but that's all you're going to get because you prayed the wrong prayer, nani nani boo boo. I mean, is, is, that, is that your God? That's not God. That's not God. That's, to, that's the devil. To me, that's his personality. It's the devil that's the legalist. It's the devil that tricks us and condemns us for our prayers. I believe that God is so good that I can pray wrong and he will still get it right. I believe that God is so huge and so wonderful and so grand that he's not up in heaven quibbling over my my vocabulary saying, oh, you didn't get it exactly right, so now you're only going to get part of your prayers answered. You know, there's there's a bunch of stuff that we pray believing, and and God is such a good, miracle-working God that he just doesn't give it to us. Like, example, you've seen my wife. You know how beautiful my wife is. I know many of you have looked at her and said, how? And my answer is the grace of God. That's all. That's the only thing. I have never, I've never met a man that did not marry over his head, but some of us married further over our head than others. You know, and so that's all I can say. But, but I want to tell you this. When I was, when I was very young, like ninth grade, I, uh, I fell in love with a girl. And, and uh, rather than use a real name, I'll just use a popular one that's being used today. We'll call her Karen. All right? And so, uh, I, I, and, and, and I mean, I fell in love with Karen with a passionate zeal that only a ninth grader can have. You know what I'm talking about. I was just smitten. I was devastated by her beauty. Oh, I loved her. And in my ninth grade Christianity, I prayed, oh God, make Karen love me. Make Karen marry me someday. Oh God, give me Karen. Give me Karen. But she never gave me the time of day. You know, not a single date. Not one moment, uh, and then eventually she finally married some other guy. Well, I don't want to jump ahead because years later, years later, after I had met and married Julie, I went back to my hometown for a friend's wedding, and, and she came back to town, and she walked in, and I looked at Karen, and I said, Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Uh, the, the, the Lord is so good. That's all I can say. And, and, and you know, my, listen, my wife looks like a million bucks and she doesn't even have to try to look like a million bucks. But, but all I can say is apparently that other guy was, guy was hard on Karen. That's all I can figure out. But, uh, but, but I think, what if God had answered that prayer? God knew that my gorgeous wife, who looks like a million bucks, was waiting for me elsewhere down the road. And he said, no, no, you're just, that's a foolish prayer. You don't even really know what you're asking for. And he said, no. And God is better than your prayer. He's better than your prayer. God is better than all the recordings that you can listen to. And, you know, some will say to you that faith is about, is all about what you can say. Now, listen, I want to say this. I think a positive confession is better than a negative confession any day, but faith is far more than a positive confession. You know, man, I, I think that if you stand around saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick long enough, then eventually you, you will be sick. But, and if you're not, the rest of us will be, I can tell you that. Uh, but, but, but I'm not, so I'm not advocating a negative confession, but I am saying this, the presumptuous concept that faith means that the Lord has delivered the outcome of your prayers into the power of your confession makes you like God. And, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't, 
I don't want that. I know you. I don't want you to be God. I don't, you don't want me to be God. Trust me. You, you don't want your spouse to be able to confess history into experience. God forbid. Let's just let God do his job. No, the reality is God has not surrendered the power of determining outcome to your tongue. And the idea that, that as God, uh, in the same way as God can, you can confess some, that which is not into, uh, it, 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 confess that into being, that means that you ought to be able to stand on the precipice of the universe and say, let there be light. No, you are a servant of God and a believer in God. You have faith in God, but you are not God. You are not God. You, you, you are what you are. You know, the reality is, and believe me, I've tried this. You, you can stand over a busted down car and you can, you can confess till you're blue in the face saying, this is a new car. 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 And, and, but when you open your eyes, it's still going to be a broken down old jalopy. You know what I'm talking about? However, having said all that, in the, in the face of that broken down car, faith is recognizing that Jesus is still Lord. And Jesus is still a miracle-working God. He works miracles in our lives when we come into that moment of need, when we come into that moment with the humility of a small child. See, when you, when you read this story, the disciples, they were like, Jesus, we only want adults to come into your presence. But Jesus said, you have it backwards I really only want children. He says, unless you have the faith as a, as a child, then, then you're not going to make it. You, you know, here's the thing about kids. Kids don't sit in the backyard making mud pies. And then one of them says, you know what? Do, do the kids still make mud pies? I don't know if they even do that anymore. They just throw mud. I know I did. That's all I did. I didn't make mud pies. I just threw mud. Uh, I have a story about that, but I won't tell you that today. But, uh, but they, don't just, they don't just sit around in the backyard playing what, whatever they're playing. And then one of them says, I'm hungry. And then the other one says, okay, watch this. I'm confessing popsicles, 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 popsicles. You know, no, not what happens is the other child says, you know what? Mom has popsicles in the freezer. Let's go and ask her for one. He doesn't think that mom is going to hit him over the head with a popsicle. He has confidence in the goodness of his mother. And now, so now he runs inside and says, mom, can we have popsicles? And, and he has confidence in the goodness and the providence and the bounty of his mother. Now she may say, no, it's almost lunchtime. We don't eat popsicles right before lunch. It'll ruin your appetite. But, but if she does say no, that doesn't mean that she's evil or bad or without power or any other thing. It simply means that her providence for him is better than his prayer because his view is limited you see god sees things differently than we do you don't see things things the way god sees them you know you, you may have a moment when the god of infinite unsearchable power says to you not now not that not that way not here you know, some people say God doesn't answer every prayer. Well, listen, I, I don't believe that. I, I believe God answers every prayer, every single one of them. He answers some of them by saying yes. Don't you love it when you get the yes, right? And you may not like this, but sometimes he answers some of those prayers by saying no. There are times when he says, I hear you, I love you, but the answer is no. And sometimes he answers those prayers by saying, not now. Not yet. You've got some growing to do. It's like when, when my youngest daughter was 
was two, she, we, we used to have, a, in, when we lived in Reno, there was a little short driveway that went from a parsonage down to the church, and so we didn't go out on the road to go to the church, and, and every once in a while, you know, I'd put one of the girls in my lap and, and let them drive, you know, so they'd grab the steering wheel, and I'd have it down below, and I would guide the car, and we would drive down to the parking lot, which, you know, maybe 100 yards or something, and you're like, why'd you even drive? Because it was a big hill, that's why. And it was going downhill, going, but then you got to walk up the hill coming back. So it's all planning ahead. But I remember one, one time we were getting ready to go someplace else and we were going out on the real road. And I remember, I remember uh, she got so angry with me because I would not let her drive. I said no, but it's not a forever no. It's you're not ready for this yet. You're not ready for this. You got to grow up. You got to have some maturity. You can't even reach the pedal, sweetheart, you know? And so sometimes that's how God answers our prayers. Sometimes He says, if you'll change that prayer just a little bit, I'll answer it. First John 4, uh, excuse me, 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So if we know that He, Here's whatever we ask. We know that we have whatever we asked of him. So sometimes the burden of our prayer is to find what is the will of the miraculous God. So, so most of our, our prayer burden is really praying into his will. We have to get to the place where we pray what he wants us to pray. And when we're praying what he wants us to pray, every single one of those prayers is going to be answered. That's the key. And that's the great task upon us. But, but in all of that, the child in the backyard still says, my mom has popsicles in the freezer she, and she loves me. She's not going to withhold good things from me. Listen, I believe in a miracle working God. I believe with all my heart. I, I, I heard a young evangelist. He, well, he, when I heard him, he wasn't young. But when he was a young man in his 20s, he, he, uh, he uh, launched a retreat center. He, he bought some acreage and on that acreage it had an old barn. He bought this and he, he worked on that barn like 20 hours a day. And he, re, he remodeled the hayloft as an apartment and he moved his family into there. And, and then the, the lower part, he remodeled that uh, in, in, into a meeting area and he started having retreats there. And, and people would come in and he began to preach on the Holy Spirit and began to preach on healing, all these different things. And the ministry just kept growing and growing and growing and they eventually built a dormitory on that property. But in that process, somebody donated a, a refrigerator for their kitchen. And it worked for a couple of years, but then it went kaput. And so he called the appliance repairman out and, and he, worked, he worked on it and he said, eventually the repairman just said, sir, this, this is just dead. It's just not going to go. There's nothing I can do. Uh, it, it, you know, if, if I put, you could repair it, but it's going to cost more than it would to get a new refrigerator. There's really nothing I can do. And, and now the only employee that that young evangelist had was a part-time secretary. And so he talked to her and she took care of the books. And she, he said, how much is a new refrigerator? And she looked at him and she said, it doesn't matter if it's three cents. You don't have it. You, you don't have it. She said, we cannot buy a refrigerator. We do not have the money to buy a refrigerator. So he went back inside to the, and, and said to the repairman, he said, friend, I have no money. I have no chance of buying a new refrigerator. And I have a group coming in this weekend. I have to have a refrigerator. And he looked at the repairman and he said, let's pray. And so they, they put their hands on this stone dead refrigerator and, 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 and they started praying. They got into it and they didn't even get their prayer started good. 
You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you'd like to think it had something to do sometimes with how well you prayed your prayer. And, 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 but, but, but they didn't even get it cranked up, you know. They just said, oh, Lord. And they were getting ready to launch into the King James prayer. Oh, Lord, thou seest this, this refrigerator, you know. They were going to get into it. But suddenly they just said, oh, Lord, as they started to pray, it just started humming. And it worked for seven years. Seven years that refrigerator worked. Seven years later, and this is an absolutely true story. Seven years later, a guy donated a brand new Amana refrigerator. And this is the, this is the God's truth. Uh, this evangelist says before God, this is absolutely true. And he said, as they were bringing in the new refrigerator in the door, the other one stopped and never ran again. I believe in a miracle working God. I believe it. I love the joy of miracles. I mean, even little things. I remember, you know, uh, a, f- a few years ago, our, our family, we had to replace our washing machine. And uh, how many of you know washing machines, they're really only, if you get 10 years out of a washing machine, that's almost miraculous, the way they're built, right? That's just the way they are because they, they, they want you to buy a new one every so often. And, and so anyway, we, we had to replace it. But, but the thing was, when we replaced it, I started thinking about when we bought that machine and I realized that we had owned that, re- that washing machine for 20 years and never had a single service call on it. To, listen, I don't care what you say. That was a miracle. Because the Lord knew as we remained faithful in bringing our tithe to him, he knew that we didn't have money outside of that to go buy a new washing machine as a young uh, married couple uh, with, you know, especially most of those years on youth pastor's salary. He knew we couldn't afford it. It's a miracle that he kept his hand on that thing. I'm telling you, it's a joy in miracles. Jesus works miracles. But the thing is that the simple unaffected delight of miracles is often lost on us when we try to run the universe and manipulate God with our words and then con- and try to control the outcome. The, the fun of it all is just climbing up in your daddy's lap and saying, please, that's the fun of it. That's, don't lose the fun of, uh, of miracles. Don't, don't, don't get it all, you know, deep and, and hard and, and, and difficult. Listen, we are, we are Pentecostals. If, if you don't believe in miracles, then you're not a Pentecostal. That's who we are as a people. There's a joy in it. Uh, the, the evangelist that I was talking about a moment ago, he later on, a uh, short time after that, he was in Mexico working with a missionary. And as they were there, he told them the story about this refrigerator and what had happened. And the missionary said, well, you know what? I have a window air conditioner that won't run. Let's, let's go back there and lay hands on it. And so they, they got up and they were all excited and they, they went back there and they, they laid their hands on that air conditioner to pray for it and evidently they were too excited and, and they laid hands too suddenly and, and as they laid hands on that, they pushed it out the window. As they were praying, they pushed it out the window and, and, and it just fell out in the alley and it was hanging on its cord there and, and, and the evangelist felt bad. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I just was so excited to pray for this and I'm so sorry. And the missionary leaned his head out the window and said, no, it's all right. It's running. And they pulled it back up by the cord and put it in the window. Don't lose the unexpected and unforeseen and unpredictable nature of a miraculous Jesus. Don't, don't lose the delight in all of that. That God can do the unexpected at any moment if we will just pay attention. If we'll just give him the opportunity. 
You know, you know it's, it's, it's one of the reasons you, you sort of need to live your life out on the edge. To, to believe God and say, I serve a miraculous God. To be that child, to climb up on daddy's lap and say, please. People ask all the time, how come we see all these miracles on the mission field and we don't see them in America? But, you know, sometimes I, I believe it's because we insulate ourselves from the need of a miracle. Because we have a need of a miracle and instead we go get a loan or we, we go, do, do we take it into our own hands and we figure it all out or we, you know, we need a healing. And, but instead of, and I'm not saying, listen, if you've got a headache, take a Tylenol, but, but maybe... Does it hurt to pray first? You know, I, I'm just saying we, we just insulate ourselves from the need. We get to the place where we don't need a miracle. You know, there, there was a missionary who was, uh, he, uh, he was a missionary evangelist. He contracted malaria in Ghana when he was there. And it, it was so bad, it felt like his head was splitting. It felt like his eyes were, were falling out of his head. He was sick and just shivering and and with malaria, you know, waves of fever go through your body like shock waves. It's a ter- terrible thing. And, and there, there was a worship service scheduled for that night. And so several of the brothers, particularly several of the pastors, the African pastors, they came and gathered around his bed and they prayed for him. And as they were praying for him, he fell asleep. Well, he woke up at 7.30 that evening and the malaria was completely gone. And he got up and he was able to preach the crusade with no malaria during that, the rest of that trip. But then a few years later, uh, he had a recurrence of malaria. He was in, he was in Me- Mexico and he woke up in the middle of the night and realized that he was having a malaria attack. I don't know if you know that with malaria. It can come back after you get better. It can come back and you never know when it's going to hit you again. So he was there lying there in bed and he just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And he wasn't getting any better. So he went down to the next room. And in the next room, there was a visiting missionary from Africa who was staying there. And, and he, he just said to this, uh, this missionary to Africa, he said, please pray for me. And his friend looked at him and said, oh, no. He said, you're having an attack of malaria. And he said, I have some, some Fanzadar in my suitcase, which is a medicine they give for, for malaria. At least they did during that time. And he pulled out the medicine and gave it to him and he was fine in the morning. So you hear that and somebody says, well, that doesn't seem like much faith if, if he took the fans that are, but, but, but I don't know about you, but it's okay to me if Jesus heals me by his touch or, or he, if he provides the fans that are. You know, I don't care which way he does it. But think about it. I mean, what are, the, what are the odds that in a hotel in Mexico that this man would be in a room with an African missionary in the next room who happened to have malaria medicine in his suitcase? What, what are the odds on that? What I'm saying to you is don't lose the fun of traveling with Jesus. Don't lose the fun of traveling with Jesus. Jesus walked the roads of, of Judea and, and, and said to the blind people, receive your sight to the deaf. He said, be thou open and they could hear. Let Jesus work miracles around you. Enjoy them. Get, get to the fun part of miraculous faith. Don't make it a drudgery. Don't make it a burden on our lives. And we, we take it on ourselves as a burden because we think somehow we have to make a miracle happen. You can't make a miracle happen. You can't make it. So, so let go of that burden and just enjoy the miracles that God can do around us when we begin to live with a childlike faith. You know, people that don't get the miracle that they think they ought to get, the way they think they ought to get it, then sometimes they live in condemnation because they think they didn't have the right kind of faith. But listen, live in the relaxed joy of knowing that your mommy has popsicles and she loves you. 
If you get it much more complicated than that, you're, you're, you're going to blow it. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You know, I think one of the absolute sweetest miracles I've ever heard of in my life happened in a church in Guadalupe, Mexico. And they were about to go into, into a worship service and, and, and this is the kind of thing that, that happens to you and you just can't believe it happens later on. You say, I just, I just can't even believe I saw that. But there was an elderly lady, lady in the crowd that night with a, with a walker in front of her and she was sitting in a chair with a walker in front of her. And, and as the missionary and the pastor of, the, uh, of that church walked in, they, they walked down the aisle and walked right past this, this lady. And, and as they walked past, she just put her hand out toward the missionary and, and said, Ayudame, Ayudame, which means help me. Well, the missionary thought she was, she was wanting him to assist her physically. He thought, you know, she just wants to move to a different chair. So he reaches out her, her he didn't understand what she was saying was pray for me, but, but he didn't understand. So, so don't tell me he was operating in some great faith or that he had some powerful anointing on his life because he thought she just needed to move to another chair. She said, Ayudame, Ayudame. And so she, 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 he just put his hand out to her and to see if he could help her stand up. And she stood up and started walking. Well, the, the whole church just went nuts. They just went nuts. And she's walking back and forth in the church and the missionaries stand there going, what, what? What, what's going on? What's happening here? And, and it, was, it was one of the most sudden, sweet, unaffected, beautiful, spontaneous miracles I've ever heard in my, in my life. And she just folded up her walker and gave it to the lady behind her and walked out well, completely well, totally healed. And I want you to know, the missionary had nothing to do with that. He didn't even know she was asking for prayer. He was just trying to help her get up out of, his, out of her chair. There, there was some way in which she said, Jesus loves me and he's going to heal me tonight. Her faith was there, not his. I heard another story from a missionary in Costa Rica. And they held some services down there with some Methodist ministers, actually. And, and a great number of these Methodist ministers in Costa Rica were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were all praying in tongues and weeping. And they were having the service. And this lady uh, walked by the building and of course they didn't have air conditioning so all the windows were open and she heard this commotion inside the building and 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 decided to come on inside and she had this little boy with her who, who was crippled and was in these metal and leather leg braces and uh, she asked what's going on and they told her and she, she asked if they would pray for him and they, they said yes but but, you know, I love people that have never been in church. They don't know how to act in church. So, so they said, yes, we pray for him. But never having been in a Protestant service before, they thought, uh, she thought they, they would pray for him right now. So, and so she just walked up right up the aisle and, and in, in, right in the middle of the service, walked out of the aisle and came up on the platform and stood there ready, ready for them to pray. She said to one of the men, she said, pray for my son, heal him. And the missionary started to go into some long teaching about how we don't heal people, that the Lord has to do that. And as he began this, this long teaching, and as, he, as he was talking to the Lord, said, this lady doesn't need a lecture, she needs prayer. And, and it, he said, she's not as confused as you are, just pray for the child. And so she, she, held, she held a little boy in front of her and with his back pressed against her uh, and, and his legs extended toward, toward the missionary and Two or three of those Methodist pastors, uh, they were all Spanish-speaking. They, 
who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and their bishop who had also been filled with the Holy Spirit. The translator was there, and the missionary just stood, they stood around that boy, and that missionary took that little boy's legs and uh, in those horrible uh, metal braces and put his little feet up uh, against his chest, and they just began to pray. And, and in those moments where what, what you don't want to do is you don't want to play mind games in those moments. I, I, you know, I, I hate that stuff. I've been in those services where, where you convince people that one leg is shorter than the other and then you change the way they sit in the chair and shout hallelujah. I, I've seen manipulation here in America. I've seen that. I hate that. So, so when they were praying and the missionary felt that child's foot turn and begin to push against his chest, he, he, he just thought to himself, no, I'm, I'm not going to manipulate anything. I'm just going to keep praying. And then he heard the bishop say, uh, as he was standing nearby, he said, oh, milagroso. Oh, miraculous. And the missionary kept praying. And in a few moments, that, that little twisted foot, that little foot twisted about a 45 degree angle and, and just began to bore into his chest. And he thought to himself, I'm just going to open my eyes. I just want to see. And he looked and the boy's mother was weeping. And, and the, the pastors and the bishop that were standing around all had their hands raised. And the mother said, he, he's healed. And the missionary said, ma'am, how would you know he was healed? Well, how would you know? She said, take his braces off. He cannot stand up, even stand up without his braces. And so right there in front of that little church, they just unbuckled him. Can I tell you something? That's a moment that is pregnant with vulnerability. You're very exposed in that moment because you prayed She's, the mom has said he's healed. Now you're going to, you know, in American charismatic meetings, you can tell people to claim their healing by faith and then usher them out the side door before anything can, can happen. And I've seen that happen. But if you, if you unbuckle a child's leg braces and he falls down, there's, there, there's no hiding that. You, know, you don't understand what I'm saying? So the, the missionary, in that moment, he was just so filled with anxiety. He felt like the Lord spoke to his heart and, and the Lord said to him, this is not about you. This is not about anybody but me. And he said, rest, be still. And a sense of peace came over that missionary. And when that lady finally got all that metal and leather and everything off of that child, she put him down. You know what? That little child just ran around that church and people were weeping and crying and the mother was weeping and crying. You know, we have so doctored this and dressed it up and fancied it up and prettified it and made it about ourselves and about our own ministries and about self-glorification that, that we have missed the, the wonderful, sweet, childlike beauty of a miracle that just happens. That God just does it. There's, there's something wonderful about that. When, when you're up against the wall and you don't know what to do and you've run out of options, I'm not here to tell you what will happen or what won't happen or what God will do or what God won't do, but I can promise this, a miracle working Jesus is there. He is there. A miracle working Jesus is in that moment. It's in him. Not what you've learned in Bible studies. Not what the sermons you can, uh, the, that you can quote. Not even in the Bible verses you, you can quote. It's Jesus. Jesus is the source of the miracle. He's the one. That, that confidence, that, that simple, sweet, childlike 
unaffected confidence in the goodness of Christ is far closer to the miracle-working power of Jesus than all of our high-powered, faith-energizing recipes. And I'm not saying you should not expect and believe in miracles. You should. Absolutely, you should. But you should respect as a child sitting on his daddy's lap in the goodness of God. Let me conclude with this. I want to tell you a little bit about a missionary that may, may be one of the most unusual missionaries ever. His name was Jim Mann. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but before he met Jesus, he was a businessman in Texas. He, he owned a restaurant and he hated his workers. They, he, they were Mexicans and he hated Mexicans. He, he lived in racial prejudice and he was a heavy drinker, an alcoholic. And one day he, he turned a tractor over on, on top of himself. It rolled and the steering wheel uh, fell across his mid-drift, mid-drift and it broke his back. And it, it paralyzed him and it left him in terrible, terrible pain. In addition to his alcoholism, he added painkillers and he, he just doped himself into oblivion. Finally, finally wound up in a mental hospital in Georgia. There laying up in a mental hospital, strung out on painkillers, trying to detox from booze, in constant pain. He said, Jesus, if you're real and if you'll heal me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And he's, he says, Jesus stood at the foot of my bed. And, and Jesus said to him, Jim, stand up. And he just got up. He got up and, and walked. He, 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 he shaved, dressed, and went downstairs. And the, the sight of him so terrified the nurse that she called the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist came and looked at him and saw him standing and walking. Now they, his, his spinal cord had been severed. They said, there's no chance you will ever walk again. But, but he said to him, what are you doing? And, and, and Jim said, well, Jesus has healed me. And the psychiatrist said, I don't have any framework on which to fit that statement. So he just signed him out. And he took his suitcase and his release papers and he walked out into the driveway. And it was that moment when he walked out in the driveway that he realized it was 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so he turned around and he knocked on the door of the mental hospital and he said, Hey, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, let me in. And they peeked out the door and said, Call a taxi. Because <laughs> they, were, they were afraid. They didn't know what to do with all this. This miracle scared them. So he ended up sitting on the driveway until the next morning when his wife came to visit him. And when his wife pulled into the driveway, he just stood up with a suitcase and went to get in the car and his wife was weeping because Jim had been healed and he'd received the Lord and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Short time after that, he was uh, out on a fishing boat and he said, Lord, I, I know that you healed me for a purpose. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, you remember how you used to scream and cuss at those Mexicans when you owned that restaurant? He said, he, he, and the Lord said, I want you to spend the rest of your life in Mexico. I love the irony of, of God. He told him, he said, I'm going to give you a supernatural love for the Mexican people. Well, Jim sold everything he had and he bought a trailer house and he went to Mexico. And he spent 15 years in Mexico and never learned Spanish. He had the worst missiology. You know, if you were trying to teach missions using his method, people would laugh you out of, out of, out of the classroom. Because uh, he, he had gone down there and lived there for 15 years and never learned Spanish. He had a man who did speak Spanish, who went down to work with him for a, for a month or so. And that man had to check him into motels because Jim couldn't even speak to the people. He, he said to him, he said, Jim, you've, you've been down here for 15 years. You still don't know Spanish? Jim said, I don't need Spanish. And, and like I said, if you tried to teach his method in a class for future missionaries, you'd be laughed out of town. But he would just pull his house trailer into some little squalid village somewhere and 
then he would find someone in that village that, that could speak English. And half the time that person was stoned out of their skulls and he would say, will you translate for me? And, and, and they'd say, yeah, sure. And so then he would show a movie that, that was in Spanish and then he'd tell the people, Jesus loves you, I love you, you ought not to be living in sin, you ought to quit living in sin and get saved. And if you're standing there watching this, especially if you were a missionary yourself, you would think, this is, this is just sad. This is pathetic. What is he? This is a terrible method. But he would say, he'd say, well, does anybody want Jesus? And the whole village would just clamor to this makeshift altar to repent. You know, oh God, just save me. He was the sweetest man. He was a loving man. And when God took all that booze and meanness and hate out of him, God created him a miraculous man of such sweet faith. And he was just a little old bald businessman that walked with a limp. Well, several years after that, a young preacher in his 20s went to work with Jim in Mexico. He was going to be there for an extended period of time. But one day, they got up and, and uh, Jim said to the, this young, he was a like 21-year-old missionary uh, who had come, this man had come to work with him. He said, he said that he wanted to go down to a certain village about which he had a dream. And the young preacher asked where it was, and Jim said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. He said, all I know is it's, it's over the mountains and somewhere down in the desert. And the, and the young preacher said, oh, oh please, let's, let's not do this. It's August in Mexico. It's 120 degrees in the shade. We have no idea where this village is, and we're going to get lost. And, and Jim looked at him, and he said, well, don't go. I'm not asking you to go, but I'm going. And the young preacher was like, oh, okay. I can't let the old man go alone. So they went, and they drove and drove and drove, and eventually the, the old missionary left the road and just started driving through the desert. And they, they were just out in the middle of the desert, the middle of nowhere, and, and suddenly the truck broke down. And the young preacher sitting there just thought, perfect. And the young man asked Jim, he said, can you fix this truck? And Jim, Jim said, I know nothing about auto mechanics. I don't even have tools. He said, that would be an act of hypocrisy, having tools that I don't even know how to use. So, and he said, what about you? And he said, the young man said, I'm a preacher. I can't change a spark plug. And then the young man said, we're going to die. I mean, there was nothing in sight, no sign of life of any type. There was not a cow, not a dog, not a person in sight, nothing. And they looked, and they began to look around. They couldn't even find the highway. They were just out in the middle of a sun-baked desert, had no idea where they were. And so Jim climbed out of the truck, and there was nearby this little pitiful mesquite bush with a little puddle of shade underneath it. And Jim stretched out and put his head in that shade and pulled his hat down over his face and went to sleep. And that young preacher was furious. He thought, this crazy old man has gotten us killed. And he, he, that young man just paced back and forth until he finally just couldn't stand anymore and he kicked the sole of Jim's boot, the bottom of, of his boot, and he said, wake up. He said, what are you doing? And Jim lifted up his hat and said, well, I'm going to lie right here and see how God handles this. And that, that was just almost more than that young preacher could handle. He, he was so angry. He just kept pacing back and forth. And then suddenly off in the distance, on the distant horizon, a, a, little cloud of, a little cloud appeared. And they began, they realized it was a cloud of dust. And it just kept getting closer and closer and bigger and bigger. And then they began hearing this rattling noise. And, and as they heard this noise, Jim Mann looked up and he said, 
Ah, that would be it. And, and the young preacher said, that would be what? And he said, the answer. And the young preacher said, what is it? And Jim said, I don't know. And as it got closer and closer, finally they realized it was a, a big, battered, beat-up, green panel truck with the side door roped closed on it. And, and it came straight across the desert. There was no road, uh, no people. There was not even, not even a telephone line. But he just came straight across the desert, straight at them. And it pulled up and that, that, old, that old green panel truck just screeched to a halt right next to their broken down truck and dust was going over where and everywhere and this teenage boy untied the side door, slid it open, jumped out with three or four tools in his hands with a blue bandana on his head and he climbed up on the, no words were spoken, nobody said anything. He climbed up on the bumper of that truck and he lifted the hood and tinkered around for a little bit and then looked at the young preacher and said, listo, listo, which means ready, ready. And so the young preacher climbed in and he turned the key and that truck roared to life and the boy slammed the hood, wrapped up his tools, jumped back in his panel truck, roped the door shut and took off just like that. And Jim got behind the wheel and they started driving again and they were driving along and this young preacher was still just fuming and now he's confused and he said, did you know those people were coming? And Jim said, no, I never saw them before in my life. He said, well, how did they know that we were here? And Jim said, I don't know. And the young preacher said, well, where did they come from? And Jim said, I said, I don't know these things. And then finally, after going down the road, not in the road, going through the desert for a little while, Jim said, he said, well, let, let me ask you this. He said, I have a question for you. He said, is Jesus in the boat? And the young preacher said, what? He said, is Jesus in the boat? And the young preacher, you know, he's still kind of upset. He said, well, yes, Jesus is in the boat. And then Jim Mann quoted the lines from an old, old hymn. He said, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. And then he said, if Jesus is in the boat, the miracle's on the way. Listen, what I'm trying to say to you this, this morning is this. With God, all things are possible. Don't try to run God. Don't try to run the universe. Don't doubt God on the one hand and, and on the other hand, don't try to drive him into your corral where you want him. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Every crisis is an opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle. And every victory is a reflection of his glory. Learn to relax. Learn to relax and just trust in Jesus like a little child. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. You stand together with me. Listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know those that are watching the live stream. I don't know where, what's going on in your life. I, I don't know what miracle you may need, but, but I, I can tell you this. All we really need to do is relax and trust. You can't do a miracle. You can't make a miracle happen. All you can do is climb up in your daddy's lap and say, please, relax, trust him. Bow your head with me. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. You would give us eyes of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us a heart of confidence and peace. 
May we, may we walk in faith knowing that our God is a God for whom nothing is impossible. Lord, may we, may we live in faith and, and, and may we see miracles, signs and wonders as, as the confirmation of His Word and as a confirmation of His goodness. And Lord, when we do not see them, I pray, Lord, that we would remember that our God is good in the middle of the crisis, not just simply when He fixes the crisis. So Lord, I pray You'd help us to walk in faith to trust God, to believe the Lord, and to receive miracles. And above all else, Lord, that we would rest in you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around, I don't know what's going on in your life. And how many of you would say, Pastor Dave, I've got some area in my life, and maybe you're thinking, oh, it's just a little thing. But listen, if you need a miracle, it's it's a miracle, whether it's big or whether it's small. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me because I need a miracle. Would you slip your hand up right where you are? All over this place, their hands going up. If you're online, just, just, just type that in in the comments. Say, I need a miracle so we can pray for you. My word for you today, simply rest. Rest. It's not up to you to make it happen. You can't manipulate God into making it happen. Just trust Him. Rest in Him. Father, I come to you right now and I pray for every one of these that have raised their hands. And you know what it is, God. And some of the miracles are spiritual and some are are emotional, some are physical. Some miracles are needed financially. Some, the miracle is needed in relationships. But God, doesn't matter what it is. We know, God, that you're more than enough. And Lord, I just pray that right now in Jesus' name that you would just... Let a sense of peace settle upon the hearts of your people. That God, we would just rest in you. That we would would enjoy the walk with you, Lord God. That we would just be ready for you to stop at any moment and do a miracle, Lord God. And Lord, that instead of trying to make things happen, instead of worrying about it, God, that we would just rest. Knowing that our God is good. And that he'll withhold no good thing from us. So we put it all in your hands, Lord God, and we... We trust you, Lord God, to change hearts, to change lives, to change circumstances, or God, to change us in the middle of the circumstances. Just give us rest. Let us walk in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.